You've scanned the headlines, read the articles, and liked the posts. Now listen to the experts themselves in the Future of Work podcast, presented by allwork.space. Are you ready? Hello, and welcome to the Future of Work podcast by allwork.space. I'm Ceci Amador de San Jose, and today I'm looking forward to chatting with Diane Schwartz, CEO of Reagan Communications, which includes the Workplace Wellness Insider, about the long-term effects of stress caused by the pandemic and how it's impacting the workforce. Diane, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Our pleasure. We already know that everyone is more stressed out, more anxious than ever before as a result of the pandemic, financial worries, just being like cooped up in a small apartment. So how is this impacting work? How is it not impacting work, right? <laughs> You're right. I think that's the right question. How is it not impacting work? I mean, it really, it's a real issue. I mean, it's always burnout and isolation and, you know, social inclusion. That's always been an issue in the workplace, definitely exacerbated by the pandemic. Many people, not all employees are working remotely. But there's definitely a hybrid work environment that's going to become more and more real and probably permanent. So we're dealing with a lot as employers, we're dealing with a lot of factors. Um, concentration, employees, employees just losing concentration at work, um, absenteeism, that presenteeism, they're there, but they're not really there, right? Um, more seriously, substance abuse and underlying health conditions that aren't being taken care of, that's definitely going to impact the employee and the employer. Um, so that worsening of health conditions. And you know, I'm sure we'll talk about this more, but mental health is still a stigma. It's still stigmatized within an organization. So there's a lot of work to be done in understanding how to deal with mental health issues in the workplace. So all of those factors. And I think something that's really important is, although there's been a lot of progress about destigmatizing mental health conversations in the workplace, I do feel that as people started to work remotely, a lot of those conversations aren't even taking place right now. Because it's not as comfortable to talk about it on like a Slack channel with your manager. This is something that's right. that people would like, they would struggle already talking and starting the conversation in person. And just like, via channels and it feels very impersonal, I, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and I th yeah, I, I think, you know, one of the, the issues is before the pandemic, it was stigmatized, right? So it, it's now in, you know, we're shining a light on this issue. So it is gonna take some time in fairness to the, those, you know, leaders and managers um, who are concerned about this, it takes some time. It's almost like the last year employers have been um, de facto mental health experts or put in a position to be mental health experts. And clearly, you know, we are not. Um, but I, I just think a better awareness of mental health and sort of fluency in the topics around mental health is, you know, one way forward. I do, you know, the day when an employee may say, um, I can't come to that meeting. I'm going to see my therapist or, you know, I'm on, I'm 
working out, you know, this medication and, you know, just give me a moment. I mean, that's when we know we've made some progress where people are openly speaking about it. But right now, Rhett, I think the starting line in terms of dealing with it. So it is true. People aren't talking about it at, you know, at all or very little. But we've made some progress. I've seen some mm-hmm. companies um, like promote um, mental health day. So if an employee asks for a mental health day, it's totally fine. They can have That's the day true. off and without asking a whole lot of other questions. So it's a step in the right direction. But I agree that there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. Speaking about mental health, stress, burnout, anxiety. A lot of the research has focused on how workers are feeling right now and how that's impacting work right now. But long term, there are definitely worse issues that are caused by long, like prolonged stress. And so my question is, how will this affect workers and companies in the future? What are some of the impacts in the long term that maybe we're not even talking about yet? Yeah, and some of this is generational, right? Where when we look at the isolation of the past year, and then you know, the millennials and Gen Z, and you know, this wanting to have social connections and not being trained, you know, in the way that we're used to training, you know, entry level and younger employees. I think all of that is almost like a missed year, but I'm very hopeful on that front. I mean, there's work to be done in terms of understanding um, as people re-enter the workplace, what kind of training they need, what kind of social gatherings are appropriate, what's to be expected. We really need to manage expectations in the next 12 months in terms of both what employers can do and what employees can handle. Um, So I think even something like resilience training for for staff is really important. Manager training. I mean, managers are on the front lines of this. I think we forget often, you know, how important that is. They're sort of in between, you know, that's the C-suite and, you know, the employees. So those managers are really important and training them to detect mental health and other issues among their team is, um, I think, one of the top areas that employers should be looking at as as we move forward. But there, the good news is, I mean, one statistic I read was about 65% of employers say that they are not able to handle mental health issues in a meaningful way yet. At least we know that we're recognizing it, right? Then something can be done. Yeah. One thing that you mentioned that I think is really important is what employees can handle moving forward. And we already have all of these extra sources of stress and anxiety. And then if we add to that, um, the return to the workplace, um, events that they're expected to participate in, what are some things that employers can do to? make those experiences less stressful for their employees? Yeah, good question. Well, let's talk about like right now. Right now, when you think about it, those employees who are constantly on Zoom calls or video calls may not always be Zoom, but let's just say Zoom calls. I mean, it's like every day they're being asked to be on stage. 
you know, and that most people do not like being on stage. So imagine the stress that that has already caused people. I mean, you can turn your video off, you know, during a meeting and managers can encourage that certainly, but that's a real issue. And I think we, we just assume everybody is just going to show up and their best selves are going to appear. And I think that's building up to be making people very anxious. So one thing that we can do immediately is reduce the number of meetings um, yes. and reduce the number of video meetings. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having an audio call. <laughs> you know, the good old that, days of just like phone yeah. or e- even email, Slack, those sorts of things where people might feel more comfortable. Just balancing that out. It's good to see people. And actually, managers should have that eye contact, you know, or peers need to have that eye contact. So having some sort of interaction is important. But we might have gone overboard, right, with all these Zoom meetings because. One person doesn't know how many Zoom meetings that person has had, so they keep scheduling them. So that's, you know, like a right away thing that we can do. Um, A lot of employers are doing pulse surveys pretty regularly. You do them, you know, some are doing them weekly, some are doing them monthly, some every other month. But those are really important. And like they sound, you know, pulse, you're taking the pulse right then and there, so it's going to change. so seeing how your your employees are feeling is really important. There are a lot of apps out there to measure sentiment. And so I would, you know, like encourage employers to look into those and really take the pulse of your employees and where they're feeling, you know, emotionally. There's a lot of other things I'm sure we'll talk about, but that's, you know, like top of mind right now. And going back to Zoom and video conferences and having the video on. One one thing that I think well, say this. I feel that video has been encouraged so much because it avoids, you know, having people get distracted with their phones or other happenings at their home while they're in the meeting. But I agree that it can be draining. Just be mm-hmm. on camera, especially if you're not talking, like you're just there. And if someone's sharing a screen, you don't even know if they're actually looking at you at least when I use Zoom, the screen, the shared screen takes over the entire of entirety of my laptop screen. And so yeah. I don't anyone else. That's the freaking point of having a camera on. Um, <laughs> as you can imagine, I'm not a big fan of um, being camera. But I do think that there are situations where it does need to be kind of like obligatory. So if you're doing one-on-one meetings, I think mm-hmm. it's more important than to have your camera on versus if you have a five to 10 person or even more people meeting where unless you're speaking, it really doesn't add a whole lot to the conversation. At least that's how I personally feel about it. And it can definitely be a source of stress, especially I'm thinking about, you know, my apartment tends to be an entire mess um, sometimes throughout the day. And I have limited space where I can have like a decent background with decent lighting and so it can be a source of stress just thinking about where the hell am I going to sit down to have this meeting and you know not show my messy bedroom or my messy living room or whatever other than that and going back to how stress is affecting um, productivity and overall performance 
is it affecting collaboration between teams and especially in distributed uh, teams right now? How yeah. does stress of collaboration and effective communication as well? Um, I feel that whenever people are stressed, they become a little bit more touchy. Mm -hmm. um, and it's hard. Um, I have a personal experience. Um, I was once asked to include more emojis in my <laughs> written messages. Oh, no. I was being very short and curt. And I'm like, I'm just writing yes or no. It, it, there's no <laughs> bad tone behind that. So now I'm like, yes, smiley face. Um, so how, what are some tips that you can give employees and employers to prevent kind of like misunderstandings that might arise from someone just, you know, quickly typing a no on an email without it seeming like they're completely angry or they don't like this other idea or person? to avoid kind of like those um, hard feelings between employees. Yeah, that's interesting because, I mean, that that's always, you know, things get lost in translation with emails or even, you know, with quick conversations or text messaging. Um, I will say, you know, you mentioned the word productivity and right now we're almost too productive. I mean, employees are spending, I think it's upwards of 25% more time at work because the lines have blurred between work and life outside of work. So that is an issue in terms of, it's not that, uh, it's more hours, maybe we're not as productive or effective in those hours, but they're definitely working more hours. So I wanted to, you know, to make a note of that because we don't have as much of a product um, issue. It's more like engagement and morale. I mean, Microsoft just came out with a stat saying 40% of um, professionals will be looking for a new job, you know, that they're ready to leave their current job. They're just frustrated. And, you know, some of that has goes back to what you were asking about, which is that interpersonal communication, feeling valued, feeling heard. Um, for those in uh, minority groups, you know, a sense of belonging and inclusion, definitely a, a real issue. You know, the whole area of, um, you know, diversity, equity and inclusion. This is um, we're in a time, a moment in our country where this is amplified, but also within organizations. Um, while I think employers are trying really hard to be inclusive. I don't think um, I think we're we're dealing with a lot of crises at once and a lot of issues yeah. at once. And there's isolation um, among minority groups, no doubt. Now, ways that um, you can deal with that or, or improve that within your organization, a lot of large organizations you don't have to be large to do this, but they have employee resource groups or affinity groups. Um, and, you know, finding those what's been termed culture carriers within your organization, people who will help bridge the gap and the communication gap and bring like minded people together, even people who aren't so like minded to talk about um, things on their mind that that has been very effective. Um, other things that you know, managers can do is just really model good behavior. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, the times that you're reaching out to your employees, if you email your employee at 3 a.m., you know, on a Thursday or over the weekend, and you're kind of setting a certain behavior and expectation. 
and that causes stress. Correct. So I think that, you know, look at yourself and how you're behaving and, um, you know, model good behavior. Um, I think we should encourage time off, maybe even incentivize people to take time off. Yeah, and also make sure that when they come back, there isn't just the equivalent of, you know, mile high stack of papers, whatever the digital version of that is, when they come back from, you know, vacation or time off. So having other people fill in so that, you know, they come back to like a normal, you know, work environment. So those are a few, few ideas. I think um, modeling behavior is really important. Um, what you said about emailing people at really odd hours of the night or the day. But then again, if you have a really distributed team across time zones, how do you do that? I do, I think that there are some email applications that allow for you to snooze mm-hmm. um, or kind of like schedule messages. Um, so that's good, but it can be it can be tricky to manage. And I, for one, I I used to err on that side. I work really well really early in the morning or really late. Um, anywhere between 11 a.m. and 4 p.m., I'm the least productive person ever. <laughs> and so it was hard for me to, you know, like I would wake up sometimes at 4 a.m. and I'm like, oh, well, I don't have anything. You all start working. And I would start sending emails. And so people would probably wake up and have like 10 different stuff. Like, yeah, what that. is wrong with her, right? <laughs> I, I used to, they're like, do you ever sleep? I sleep so much, but. So I, I've, I've gotten better about that, but it's something, and I think a lot of managers and leaders don't do it consciously. Um, yes. And sometimes it's just like this, like overexcitement, like they have an idea or they just thought of something. And it's really hard to kind of like keep that to yourself, especially if you're already at home working all day. Like you said, people are working longer hours than ever before. I don't know if necessarily they're being more productive, but they're working for a longer time. And yeah. with lockdowns and restrictions about being able to leave your house for a few some place, what else is there to do? And it's terrible. Like there, there's more to life than work. And at the same time, we went through a year that work was basically for a lot of people the only entertainment they had. Right. And connection to other people. And there are a lot, I mean, on the positive side, there are a lot of great collaboration tools and that aren't time sensitive, you know, that you can, you know, whether it's, um, we know what they all are. There are, there are a lot of them and that is a positive. And I think that is here to stay and they're only going to get better and more effective um, for teams especially, you know, global teams that are working. I mean, Microsoft Teams is a perfect example. It's free if you're the Microsoft suite. And I mean, it's such a, an effective and efficient way of working. And we're just going to see that technology improve. And, and it's here to stay even as we go back into the office. Um, and I also think another positive is when you think about the video calls, whether you're the CEO or the person, you know, that just, you know, right out of college, you know, in a Zoom call, the Zoom box is the same size, you know, it sort of democratized that, you know, like meeting, you know, so there are a lot, and it's more intimate in some ways when you're having these meetings and you're able to, you're actually closer to people. So it's really on us as team leaders or anyone on a team 
you know, to do what they can to find those connections during those meetings to make people feel a little bit less isolated, even just small talk at the beginning of a meeting, right? Not going right into, you know, the, the, the substance of the meeting itself. I think those little tweaks can make a really big difference. How is, um, How is Reagan so- Communications uh, doing that? Yeah, good question. Um, we like to practice what we preach, but you know we're moving very quickly, and I think we're our team's doing a great job. We've been through a lot together in you know the last thirteen months or so, and it's required a lot of resilience, flexibility. Um, we have a lot. Uh, we have a lot of Zoom meetings every week. We have an all hands like sort of town hall type meeting where I share. And others share, you know, the latest developments and news and ideas. So that has been good to keep us together. Um, we have a social committee um, that puts on different events for for the group, and a um, a DEI committee that has been really important to so many of our employees in terms of, you know, taking a stand and holding ourselves accountable for improving. DEI, and that gives a lot of employees a sense of purpose. You know, it gives us a sense of purpose as a brand. So those are a few things that we've been doing. And we've been remote for a while. I mean, we've always been a company that has been um, made up of, you know, a lot of remote employees. Uh, We do have an office in Chicago, but about half of our employees are outside of Chicago. So. So... The switch to remote didn't really affect that much your employee, your company culture and morale and engagement. That's true. Um, those who are in Chicago, that I mean, a lot of people really miss the office, yeah. you know, and they can't wait to get back to, we do beer Fridays, you know, sort of like a happy hour on Friday, things like little things like that, that people are really looking forward to. And we'll be back, you know, we'll be doing that, I think, by the end of this year. Yeah, I I agree. I think, yeah, October by October, I think most companies will be able to have at least a significant percent of their workforce back in the office. Moving forward, where do you see workplace wellness going? What are some things that you hope to see companies across the globe implement or start doing? It's getting bigger and bigger as um, an area within an organization. We're seeing more and more job titles with wellness or well-being in their titles. Um, They're coming out of HR, communications, um, other areas, organizational development. And so workplace wellness is going to be um, an increasing focus of the C-suite and of organizations, you're gonna see a lot more collaboration between HR and communications because you can build it, but they might not come. So if you have like a financial wellness program, you know, how do you, you can, you know, start implementing it, but if nobody knows about it, it's gonna fall flat. Um, So I think we're gonna see a lot more communication around wellness within organizations. There's going to be more investment in technology and even benefits and rewards around wellness. And we're going to be measuring it, 
right? We're going to need to measure it. And what works in one organization may not work for those employees in another organization. So there are nuances there, but it's a burgeoning area, a a growing field. I'm really excited. We're really excited at Workplace Wellness Insider to be covering all areas of wellness um, and helping organizations kind of understand how to navigate this. You know, healthy, healthy employees equal a healthy, you know, organization. So I think it's all doable if we just acknowledge it and take the small steps to get there. I agree. And what you said about measuring results, I think that's probably one of the most important things of implementing a wellness strategy program. There's been a lot of research that kind of like puts the question out of whether or not wellness programs are effective or not. And I think in large part, a lot of organizations fail at measuring what's working, what's not, and how they can improve on that. And so I'm hoping moving forward, it'll be easier for companies uh, through technologies um, to measure the results of, of their programs and their strategies. Yeah, I think measurement is always like, you know, the green vegetable on the plate, you know, that like... Yeah. I mean, it's the best thing for you, but a lot of people just, you know, they poke around, may not, may not eat it all. So measurement, um, it's not just the measurement, it's actually doing something about the data. Like some of that, some of the results and outcomes may be negative, you know, they may not be good, but that you have to face it, you know, and, and learn from it and create better programs. So it's, you know, endeavoring to measure, but then actually doing something about the result. I yeah. I agree. And yeah. we're almost running out of time here. So I wanted to ask if there's anything else that you'd like to add. And if not, if you could just in two minutes, tell us what you believe um, it's the most important thing moving forward about workplace health. Yeah, well, thanks again for allowing me to talk about this. It's such a it's a topic so near and dear to me and to our organization and to our community. I think the first thing is to recognize the problem and then to take the small step to getting to, you know, the bigger goals of, you know, you're never going to, all employees are never good. You're not going to have a hundred percent, you know, high morale in your organization and everyone healthy, but, um, you know, monitoring it, you know, and being proactive and partnering within your organization with colleagues in HR and um, communications, I think is really important. And listening to employees, I think that's probably the biggest takeaway is listen, you know, listen and act. And there's no cookie cutter approach, no one recipe for workplace wellness. So you really need to understand your organization's culture. And as you listen, you know, respond accordingly. So I'm hopeful though. I think things are going to be better. I, I agree. I do think that I mean, over the past five years, we've seen a lot of talk about workplace wellness growing popularity. And I think the pandemic brought to light how important it really is for companies to have play an active part in their employee well-being if they want to have employees that bring their best selves to work. 
So thank you again, Diane, for yeah. taking the time to speak with us. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the AllWork.Space podcast. Thank you. Take care. If it's impacting the future of work, it's in the Future of Work podcast by AllWork.Space. Are you ready?